there's just a lot that goes into um, that first year of college where you're learning how to be a little more independent. Like you don't have mom or dad there um, taking care of you anymore. It's kind of you're on your own trying to figure out things for yourself. Making an athlete, a show about athletes, coaches, scouts, trainers, and the stories behind their careers and what it takes to build yours. This is Making an Athlete Podcast. I'm Ty Davis, and on the show today, we sit down with Mallory Gibson Rossi, current head women's volleyball coach at CSU Stanislaw in California. Mallory had a standout career as an NCAA Division I student athlete, starting her collegiate playing career at the University of Colorado before transferring to the University of the Pacific, where she was a two-time first-team All-Big West Conference outside hitter. She previously played professionally in the Premier Volleyball League and overseas in Greece, leading the Olympiacos and capturing the Greek Cup gold medal. Prior to her current heading coach position at Stanislaw State, Mallory was regarded as one of the most respected assistant coaches in the Mountain West Conference during her four seasons with Fresno State. Today, we sit down with Mallory and talk collegiate volleyball recruiting. Mallory, thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me here. Um, just want to hear a bit about your journey as an athlete. You know, What did you play as a kid and, and how did you end up playing volleyball in college? So I grew up um, around sports. It was um, sports was always present in my um, family. My dad played football at University of Hawaii. Um, my mom played softball. My sisters played softball, basketball, volleyball. Um, so it's something that like I always saw. And being the youngest of three girls, I just like always watched my sisters. Always like looked up to them um, and got to. I guess, experience it that way. Um, that's kind of how I was introduced to it. I played several sports growing up. Um, I first started out playing soccer. Um, I played track, softball, um, basketball, volleyball. Um, so just involved in several different sports. And um, I'm very thankful that my parents gave me the opportunity to um, like experience the many different sports and figure out what it was that I liked best. Um, so, I mean, like I said, with our family, we would, um, I mean, our vacations were kind of planned around, um, mine and my sister's tournaments or games. And if someone had a tournament, say in Phoenix, Arizona, like that's where our vacation would end huh. up being. So, um, our whole life, it was just like, we're, it was kind of revolved around sports, which um, I'm very thankful for. And it kind of made it a um, unique experience for us growing up. And that's, uh, that's um, very committed and dedicated parents. Yes, definitely. My parents were at everything. Um, yeah, they didn't miss much and they did whatever they could to keep us involved. So I'm very thankful for that. When you uh, when you started to kind of move um, towards picking a, I mean, did you play multiple sports in in high school too, or did you kind of just start focusing in on on volleyball? Um, I guess when did you start thinking, hey, I may want to play volleyball at the collegiate level? So I was probably I would say about eighth grade when I 
really started thinking about like, this could be a possibility of me playing in college. Um, I did play um, multiple sports in high school. I um, did volleyball, basketball, and track all throughout high school, all four years. Um, But I only played volleyball as far as like club or travel ball. So um, it was always a hectic schedule. Like I (laughs) remember, especially for um, basketball and track, like I would have basketball practice and go right from basketball practice to club practice. Or once it got to the spring season, I would have a track meet and have to go like directly to uh, volleyball practice right after that. So it was always a busy and hectic schedule. Um, but, um, I think it was definitely doable just doing one travel sport. I don't, know that it would be possible i mean maybe there are some who play two sports um like travel or club ball but um playing through high school with like other sports and then focusing on one travel ball um was was doable for me um and i was let's see i was in seventh grade um well I first started playing volleyball when I was in sixth grade. Um, my middle sister played club volleyball. And um, at that time I was, my focus was track and field. Like that's kind of what I thought I was going to um, go on in. And I like went to the junior Olympics for track and field. And um, I decided to give volleyball a try just because I was watching my sister and it looked fun. And so, um, what a, when what I was in sixth sorry, grade, yeah. I tried it out. Sorry to interrupt, but what, just curious, sorry, what event, what event did you do in track and field? Um, I did, well, at that time I, it was a pentathlon. Um, that was kind of like my main focus. Um, but like long jump, um, high jump and then, um, like through high school, I was on the four by one relay and I threw shot put in discus as well. All right. Um, sorry to interrupt. I was just, just curious, way. but I'll let, I'll let you keep going. Sorry about that. Just real curious. Oh, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I saw my sister playing volleyball and it looked fun and I decided to give it a shot and I absolutely hated it. Like that <laughs> my, when I was in sixth grade, I just like did not like it at all. Um, I, like I said, I was still so focused on track that I just like really didn't, um, I think give it my full attention. And so when I was in seventh grade, I didn't play club and I was just like, no, that's not for me. I don't want to play. But then my sister kept encouraging me. She was just like, no, you can be so good at volleyball. And, I'd still like, we play out in the front yard and, um, just kind of for fun. And so she just kept encouraging me. And then in eighth grade, I gave it another try for club and fell in love with it and haven't stopped living it since. So, um, so yeah, it was, I was glad to have my sister there, like motivating me and, um, encouraging me to give it another shot. That's awesome. That's awesome. Having like that, that, you know, competitive, not even just competitive, but that motivation from a, an older sibling. Uh, for me, I was the, I was the older brother and the younger brother. I, I'm not gonna say he was motivated off of me, but he, uh, you know, I, I, I chose baseball and then he took a, a real liking for baseball and he was actually more, more raw, t- raw talent than I had. And, and 
thing. He just kind of uh, took off easier with that. But uh-huh. I feel like you, you younger siblings sometimes get the better raw talent. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's true. I mean, I think part of it has to do with just like growing up and watching your siblings, your older siblings playing and getting like all those visual reps before you actually like go out there and do it yourself. Yeah. Um, So you talk about, you know, you did club volleyball, you still played multiple sports in high school. um, And that's something that, you know, I think um, is still really important um, just because you want to have, you know, there's different skills that each sport is asking for, whether it's track or basketball or, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important. And, you know, for me, I played multiple sports in high school and did focus on baseball. Um, but still, you know, enjoying basketball, enjoying football or soccer is real important to that experience uh, in high school. Um, once you're in high school and you're starting to play club, and this is where um, we could start talking a little bit about, um, it will come around to the recruiting aspect from the coach's perspective, but for you as a, a player, what was that process like in starting to talk to colleges and, and then what, at what grade did that start to happen? Um, so I started receiving letters um, my sophomore year of high school. And at first it was, um, it was a little overwhelming just because it was so new to me. Um, I knew I wanted to go on and play in college, but I just didn't, I guess, fully understand the whole recruiting process. And um, my sisters played at a junior college out of high school. So they, um, it was just kind of like new to all of us and um, trying to figure out which schools I wanted to narrow it down to, to go visit. Um, and being so young, it's just, it's a lot to think about at a young age. And so, um, my main thing was, so I grew up in Bakersfield. I was born and raised there. So I just wanted to go somewhere a little different. I either wanted to go somewhere, um, near the beach or in the mountains. And, um, that was kind of my thing. I really didn't think about, um, other factors like, um, like classroom size or uh, um, the travel that's involved. It was just kind of like, I wanted to go somewhere different and I wanted to be at it like big time athletic school. Um, so I started taking visits, um, took some unofficial visits um, and ended up um, taking an official visit to University of Colorado. And um, I just loved it there. I, it was a very beautiful area very beautiful campus. Um, I really enjoyed the team. I um, actually knew a couple of the girls on the team. They also grew up in Bakersfield, but had moved away. um, I think probably when I was about eighth grade. Um, So I kind of knew them. Our dads had actually coached football together. And so there's kind of that connection that um, where I just felt, a little bit more like at home than I did with the other visits. Um, and so that's where I ended up choosing was the university of Colorado. Um, I went there my first two and a half years. Um, I had a medical red shirt my first year due, due to a shoulder injury and then, um, played two seasons there. And then I had decided to transfer. Um, I was just, 
but it's hard being away from home. And like I had mentioned earlier, I was just very close with my family. Um, like we did everything together and it was just hard not having that same dynamic and um, not being able to just go home on the weekends to see family when I wanted to. So I ended up transferring to University of the Pacific um, and finished out my last two seasons there. And um, from that recruiting outlook, I kind of knew a little, um, I knew what was more, more important to me at that time compared to when I was 15, 16 years old in high school making this decision. And I knew, um, I didn't want, I mean, out of high school, I did want that big time, like university feel. But then once I had that, I realized that that wasn't really important to me. And for me to be successful in the classroom, um, I felt that I needed kind of a smaller, uh, more intimate setting where I could get to know my professors and have a relationship with them. Whereas at Colorado, like I had lecture halls where there are about 500 students in there. So you're just a number in the classroom and you don't ever get to know your professors, um, which that made it really hard for me. Um, and when I did go to University of the Pacific, it just made a world of a difference for me as far as um, taking an interest in my major and my academics. Um, and I excelled much more in that type of environment. So um, there were things like that. Um, just I wanted a team who was very close and had that tight knit like team chemistry. And I really felt that when I went to UOP on my visit. Um, and so it was definitely, there were different factors that I considered in high school versus when I transferred. Um, and so that would be just like one thing I would probably do different. Um, if I had the chance is just like really identifying which factors it is that are most important to me. Um, and I would say that would be being close to family. So like the location, um, the size of the university. And then also I didn't, I mean, faith is very important to me. Um, I grew up in a Christian home and I didn't necessarily need to go to a Christian university, but I wanted to have, um, like those friendships and connections with my teammates. And that is something that I found at UOP. Um, so yeah, it was just very different factors that I looked at. And I think that just kind of came with experience and maturity. So during, during this whole process, what would you say, um, or how, how did your parents influence your decision or how do they just um, help you understand the decision that you were making to, to choose the college, I guess, what was their, their role in the process of the of recruiting? Um, they were very supportive. Um, they just would talk with me, like as I would identify things that were important to me, um, we would talk it out. I mean, really they left the decision up to me. It was, um, they weren't pressuring me to choose one school over another. Um, they really wanted me to just figure out what was a good fit for me and go with that university. So um, I would just say they were very supportive along the way, not not um, causing like pressure for me to choose one school over another. 
Okay. And so once you got to University of Colorado or, um, and then you transferred uh, or either places, because both University of Colorado, University of Pacific, um, talking about your playing experience there, um, what was that like in terms of level of competition? So going from high school uh, club volleyball to that division one for, for both of those schools, not um, whether it's division one, division two, um, three or NAIA, but for you, it was division one. What was that, um, that, that I guess jump in competition and, and what was it like for you? Um, it was definitely, it took a lot of adjusting. Um, it's just a different style of play. Um, it was a lot quicker than what I was used to in high school. Um, and having to register, I was able to train, end up training with the team in the spring. So I had, um, kind of a year under my belt where I got to see the competition because even when I was redshirting during that first fall season, I still got to travel everywhere. So I got to experience like what it's like playing at all the different um, arenas or gyms. And then, like I said, in the spring, I just got to train with the team and really adjust to um, the speed of the game. And um, it did take a bit of adjusting, but um, I think being able to have kind of that season or that year under my belt to adjust uh, made a big difference for me once I was able to compete the following year. And um, I mean, in at Colorado, we were in the Big 12 at the time. Um, so we're playing teams um, like Nebraska, Texas, Baylor, um, Texas Tech, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa, just some like really strong teams. So it was really neat to be a part of a program that's competing at such an elite level, like every night. There wasn't a night where you could like take the day off. You had to go in and battle every day. So um, that was a really neat experience. And then also playing against some of those players who are um, went on to be Olympians or even still um, on the national team. So it's kind of neat to be like, Oh yeah, I remember playing against them or um, going back and like watching old film and be like, Oh, <laughs> look, there's so-and-so she's now on the national team. So um, there's a lot of that, which made it a very fun experience. And then at UOP, it was, um, it was a very high level volleyball as well, but just the travel wasn't as demanding. Um, again, like I said, at Colorado, you're going all over um, the country, you know, you're traveling to multiple different States. And at the time we were playing, our games were on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, so usually we would take a charter flight for our Wednesday games. Uh, we'd leave Tuesday play Wednesday and then fly back Wednesday night um, get back in town probably like 2, 3 a.m. then have to go to school Thursday and sometimes we're traveling Friday to go compete somewhere else on Saturday. So um, the travel was very demanding and um, that would be like another factor to consider when you're kind of looking at schools um, and then at UOP all of the teams in our conference were all in California. We played Friday, Saturday. So 
the time away from school and like missed class time was not nearly as much as it was at Colorado. So I was able again to be a lot more successful in that type of environment. Um, so going, you know, you, you spend a few years, a few years, you spend four or five years and you talk about redshirting as well. And, um, for me, you know, I, I did something similar. I didn't, I wasn't a, a medical red, uh, shirt, but I was a travel red shirt, which, yeah, I don't know if it's actually a thing still, but at the time it was, I got to travel with the team, but I redshirted. Um, that was one of the most beneficial things for me as you know, I graduated high school at 17. Um, I had it really hit my major growth spurt yet. And so I gained, you know, 30 pounds and like four inches in that year of travel red shirt. Um, I guess let's just talk about redshirting just for a minute. And this is kind of where we're going to start switching into like the coaching aspect now, um, from your, your personal playing experience. Um, red shirts, what, 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 you know, what goes into being a red shirt? And a lot of people sometimes think of it negatively, but it could be a real positive, um, thing to do as a red shirt. Right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. A lot of people see it as a negative thing. Um, but I think it's a very positive move to make. Um, I know it's hard because a lot of the student athletes who are being recruited, they're coming in as freshmen. Um, they had experiences at high school where they're kind of the all-star. They're the talk of the town. Everyone knows who they are. And so they don't want to go from that experience to a college and be like, have no name for themselves. You know, yeah. they want yeah. to like start creating that identity and start creating that name for themselves right away. And so that's hard for a lot of people to kind of step back and make that decision. But um, there are a lot of things when you get to the college level that you don't really think about that can affect your play. Um, like I mentioned with school, with travel, adjusting, like being away from home, um, going through like personal issues. There's just a lot that goes into um, that first year of college where you're learning how to be a little more independent. Like you don't have mom or dad there um, taking care of you anymore. It's kind of, you're on your own trying to figure out things for yourself. And um, many student athletes need that year. They need a year to be able to um, kind of figure out who they are and understand what, like how to prioritize and um, they need that year of like either growth or maturity. Um, so I think being able to redshirt will help them a lot in those areas like off the court, but then on the court, kind of how I mentioned for me, the speed of the game was much quicker in college. And so I had that first year of being able to adjust to it. And when I went in as like my redshirt freshman year, it wasn't a shock to me. And I think that happens to a lot of student athletes where they get out on the court or they get out on the field and it's just a completely different game. And it's kind of a shock to them. And mm -hmm. sometimes that can work negatively where they just like kind of give up or they don't know how to cope. They don't know how to figure things out quick enough. Um, and it ends up kind of being a waste of a year um, just because 
they spent the entire season trying to figure out the speed of the game. And so I think being able to redshirt um, gives you that time where you don't feel the pressure to perform right away, but you're still able to learn kind of a new style um, or a new game. And from a coach's perspective, it also allows um, us to create some depth and be able to help with our recruiting. Um, sometimes if we have a big recruiting class, um, say our junior class is a very big class and we know we're going to have to fill a lot of roles. We might bring in a couple girls when that class are seniors so that we can redshirt a couple. Then that senior class graduates. And now we have girls who have been in the program, but technically still have four years. So um, it allows them to kind of come in right away as a freshman or as a redshirt freshman and be able to make an impact um, without having that shock of um, a completely new game. And that makes, that makes perfect sense because it's, it's, you know, I always had a coach. Um, I'm going to try not to say this on too many different podcasts, but um, he, he always told me, you know, in high school, it was my high school baseball coach, Dave Rodriguez. And he had said, um, you have, at, you know, four, maybe five more years of, of baseball after high school. And at the time I didn't understand what five years meant. Like you can only play four years in it, but I didn't understand that redshirt aspect. And, and for me, it was five years and it made perfect sense um, with, with that redshirting year. Uh, taking a step yeah, back yeah, now. I'm, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, like, looking back, I'm very thankful that I had um, that year to adjust. And I don't think I would have had as successful of years as playing as I did had I not had that first year to develop. Agreed. I would have, I would have, like you mentioned earlier, if I would have gone in my first year and tried to compete, um, I probably would have, you know, got disheartened and, and thought, you know, maybe I don't, I, I can't match up to this, this level, but that, that year of redshirt allowed me to um, catch up in a way and, and understand that I could compete. Right. And, um, taking a step back, we're going to come back to that, that, that college level, but I, I want to go back because a, a lot of listeners, um, you know, with, with whether they're student athletes themselves or their parents of student athletes or, um, what we're going to kind of hone in on, on volleyball. So what would you recommend or when is a good starting age to, um, get a, a, a kid into volleyball? And then after you talk about that kind of go into, and this is kind of a, a very heavy question or, weighted question, but talking about that starting age and then talk about the differences of club volleyball and then school volleyball and, and what both of them mean. Okay. Um, well, I would say you just kind of need to identify your child's goals. Um, if it's to keep them occupied, um, maybe you just want them to have fun, um, maybe form friendships or introduce them to a sport. I think it's fine to um, start them at a younger age, like maybe around 10, 11 years old. Um, but this is just, I would say like a couple months out of the year. It doesn't need to be anything major. It doesn't need to be you're traveling out of state, or even out of your city to go compete. I think just kind of um, practicing 
training and being introduced to the sport is enough. Um, then I would say once you identify that maybe your child has the potential to go on and play in college, I think 14, 15 years old, um, I would say more like 15 years old to be a good time to um, start club volleyball or travel volleyball. And if you're really trying to pursue that college career, then you want to be on a team who does travel to some of those national qualifiers because that's where most of the coaches are. Um, they're there recruiting. And so you want to make sure your team is going to some of those bigger tournaments so that you're able to get the exposure as well. And um, I know a lot of there's club team too. I mean, they have 12 and under and, I mean, I think that's great and all. It's giving them a lot of touches. They're developing a lot. Um, but I just, I personally don't think it's necessary to be traveling all over the state, missing school at such a young age um, when you're, when you're that young. So um, the difference between high school and club sports, um, high school, it all depends. Like you may be on a high school team where most of your teammates have played club and have a lot more experience. Um, my experience in high school was I was one of maybe two or three who had experience playing club. So the level wasn't as high, um, but it taught me how to be a leader. So I was able to kind of develop my leadership. Um, and usually for high school, you aren't traveling to as many um, tournaments. It's all kind of local. Um, whereas with club, you're traveling everywhere. I mean, you're playing probably every other weekend um, from January until June. Um, so it's very demanding. Um, you're traveling usually to like your area tournaments or your power league, which is like within your um, region. So for Northern California, you most likely would be traveling to the Bay area every other weekend. And then the other weekends you're traveling to national qualifiers. Um, and that's anywhere there's Vegas, um, Colorado, uh, Dallas, Atlanta, Utah, um, it's just all over the country. And so it kind of depends on where your club chooses to travel to. And um, club volleyball, is, it's grown so much and it's a very crazy environment. I mean, I remember as a coach, my first time going in to recruit and there's about 80 courts in this big convention center. And I'm like, where do I even begin? <laughs> like there are so many teams, so many um, kids here playing. And so it's just, um, you see a lot of volleyball, like you're just, you're spending the entire day there at the convention center. Um, so you're getting a lot of reps and you end up playing at a high level. Um, that's where a lot of their recruiting happens for volleyball. It's, it doesn't happen as much high school. Um, pretty much everything is done through club. And the reason is because, um, high school volleyball is the same season as club volleyball or sorry. High school volleyball is the same season as college volleyball. Um, so it's very difficult. Like when we're in season in college and I'm coaching or we're traveling, we have games. It's hard for me to get out and go see some of these high school teams, even when they might be down the street because 
our practice time is at the same time that they're playing. So it makes it very difficult to do much recruiting through high school. Um, Club volleyball is during our off season, like I said, from January to June. So that's where we get all of our recruiting done. So you're you're just getting uh, getting your travel schedule ready to start going out and start recruiting again. Yep, exactly. It's already started. All right. So um, <laughs> we we we're talking about qualifiers, and you you went in on you know how that's important. These you know big conferences at conventions. Um, can you talk a bit about uh, camps? You know, like camps that are being hosted at the universities. What's the benefits of those? And is there such a thing as like a a prospects camp in volleyball? Yes. Um, so there are uh, for volleyball. They're usually called showcases, and it's usually um, most of them are held the first or the day before, like these national qualifiers start. So. So you have a national qualifier in Denver on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Then usually that Friday before the tournament starts, you have a big showcase. And um, every organization does their showcases a little differently. Some of them will be any ages, uh, but a lot of them focus on unsigned seniors. And I would say as far as choosing to go to one of those, um, really do some research on each of them just to make sure that there will be college coaches in attendance. If that's your goal is to be seen and to be signed. Um, You want to make sure that there are a good handful of coaches who will be there to watch and evaluate you. And almost all of these showcases will um, announce usually through their website or an email, which coaches have signed up to attend. And so um, they'll give you a good idea whether or not it's, a good showcase for you in particular. Um, And another thing would just be a word of mouth. Um, I know there's always new showcases that are popping up. Some of them are great. Some of them need a little organization. So I would just ask around, ask um, other parents, ask other kids, other coaches, um, which showcases they've been to and have been most helpful in their recruiting process. Um, and if you aren't sure, you can even ask if there's a college coach that you're somewhat in contact with. You can ask them, hey, I'm considering going to this showcase. Would you advise me attending this one um, and just see what they say? You can kind of get their input that way. Um, as far as camps go, it's kind of the same thing. You want to ask around, kind of find out word of mouth, which camps are um, most like beneficial to you. A lot of times um, the college camps are pretty unique in that they have their student athletes who are on the college team helping and working. So it's a fun environment for these younger girls to go to a camp and be coached by maybe like someone who they look up to on the college team and um, getting able or getting um, some teaching from them or being able to see them demonstrate a certain skill. And I think that has a lot to do with um, like the success of a camp is do they have people there who can demonstrate because there are so many kids who are visual learners and they need to see someone demonstrate the skill prior to attempting it themselves. Um, So that's why I think uh, college camps are 
um, tend to be um, pretty helpful in that nature. Um, and I know there's a lot that are like overnight. So if you're wanting to go maybe off to like a big time college, you can look to see which ones offer overnight camps. Um, if you want to stay more local, you can look into like your local university or, um, junior college and just kind of, again, ask around to see what others will have gone to and, um, what their input is on each of those. But I would say from my perspective, you would definitely want to find a camp that um, will kind of break down the skills and will teach you versus they just throw you a ball and you're playing, you're scrimmaging the whole time. You know, that's kind of what you're getting at practices through like school or through club. Like you want, a very unique experience where you're going to be taught um, and they're going to invest their time in making sure that you're improving and that you're understanding. You don't want to just go somewhere where they're just collecting a check and then they just let you go play and do whatever. So for, for junior college athletes that are still trying to um, move on to that next level, what, how can they get noticed um, if, if they're past the club age? Um, a lot of times there are showcases for them as well. Um, but probably the most successful way of being noticed is just sending out emails and, um, just being constant with your communication, like to the point you almost feel annoying because (laughs) you want the college coaches to remember who you are and like to get familiar with your name. You know, if you just send one, every six months or every year, like that name isn't going to stick in their mind. So you want to um, communicate with them often and send them film for volleyball. Um, That's usually kind of how it starts out is we'll get a recruit sends us an email. um, They send us film. They tell us a little bit about themselves and then we like what we see, we organize or we plan um, a trip to go maybe watch them practice with their JUCO team. Um, so I think it's just a lot of um, like the conversation and the communication needs to be initiated by that recruit and um, just constant communication. During the process of, of, of these volleyball players as they're going through different ages, um, how do you, how do you view parent participation at different age groups? Right. Um, I mean, I love parent support. I love for parents to be involved. Um, that's something that definitely stands out to me when I'm recruiting. Um, but at the same time, like once the recruits get to their college program, there does need to be that separation where, um, the student athlete is starting to um, speak up for themselves and they need to be able to find that voice. Um, So if there's um, a question, maybe they want to know if there's going to be more scholarship money for them. Like those conversations need to be led by the student athlete and not coming from the parents. Um, When it comes to like skill instruction, I've seen parents who are very supportive of like what coaches teach and um, just like, well, you've got to, you got to really invest in um, taking what your coach is telling you, even if it's different from what you've learned in the past, 
And then I've seen on the other side, unfortunately, parents who um, say, well, um, are kind of bad mouth, like, well, the coach doesn't know what they're talking about. This is how you've been taught in the past. Um, so again, I love the parent support. I love the parent involvement, um, but it needs to be all focused on the same goals and the same intentions as like what the coach and the program is trying to do as a team. Um, so you don't want to really take away or like, um, you don't want to feel like you're, uh, fill their minds with, well, they don't know what they're talking about, or, um, this is completely different than what I've been taught before. You want to, um, encourage them and say, Hey, like this may not be how you've taught, how you've been taught in the past, but it's going to really help you to develop this skill and just trying to think of everything in a positive way. Um, I think that'll really help the experience for everyone involved for the parents, the student athletes, the coaches, um, and will allow everybody to kind of maintain those good, positive, healthy relationships. And, and your experience and you, you've, um, you've played division one, you've coached at division one, uh, Fresno state. Um, and now, uh, Sansal is division two. And then there's division three schools. Um, what, you know, when I, when I look at baseball, cause that's my experience, you know, and, and everyone says, Oh, you know, division one, um, there are a lot of, you know, really good athletes at division one. But if you were to go back and look at, you know, people who are playing in the pros or people who are drafted, it, it ultimately, it, it was division one, two, three NAIA players that all ended up there. Um, so it still was a level, um, uh, you know, a pretty standard level of competition across all of those. Um, what, what is the differences in, in, if there are any, in your opinion, for division one, two, three in AIA? Um, I would say from my experience, um, division one, you definitely are playing at an elite level. Um, for the most part, you're um, competing at a very high level but it tends to be like your experience tends to be um, more focused on your sport. Whereas division two, I feel like you're playing at a high level. Um, I would say the level of play for division two is probably anywhere from like the mid D ones to lower D one. But I think there's several D two programs who are, who could, beat D1 teams. Um, and I see that happen a lot. Um, and there's just kind of like this preconceived notion that, um, D1s are better or play at a higher level than D2. And that's not always the case. Um, like I said, it's the level of play is probably like mid division two level or sorry, mid division one level. Um, but it's more balanced on, the student athlete experience as an athlete and as a student. So you kind of get that balance. Um, it's not all focused on sport. You get the balance between the two different worlds. Um, and then division three is more what I've heard and seen is um, like, you're still getting that experience, still having fun playing at a pretty decent level, but it definitely is focused more on your academics. So 
Yes, you have Division One, which is more sport. Division Two focused on both sport and academics. Division Three more on academics, and um, and you're still getting great experience in all areas, but that's just kind of the general um, general things that I've noticed. So you you talk, and we're heading towards the uh, the the tail end of our conversation here. So I have a, a couple more questions. We'll do like a, a quick speed round. Um, two more questions I have for you. Um, and you talk about academics, um, as you're recruiting, you know, uh, it's, it's almost understood that academics are important, but, um, as a coach is recruiting, how, how do you look at academics and, and what do you consider when looking at, um, a possible student athlete to be at Stan's law? Um, I mean, academics are definitely a, um, very important part of the recruiting process. And a lot of times it separates two different recruits. You know, you have two recruits who are at pretty similar levels. Um, then you go and you look at their academics. You have one who's a much better student. Um, chances are coaches are going to go with that recruit who has, um, better grades or better scores. And, um, not that you have to have a 4.0, but usually if you see um, that there is like hard work being put into the classroom, you'll get that same work ethic out on the court. Um, so that's absolutely a major factor when we're recruiting is we want um, recruits who want to be there for volleyball but most importantly we want recruits who want to go to school be great students um, get a degree graduate and have a good academic experience as well and um, along with like academics and talent on the court when we're recruiting I would say like other intangible factors that we look at are um, their leadership skills Um, When we're out recruiting, we'll look at, um, I mean, I'll look at during timeouts, is this recruit paying attention to their coach or are they staring off into space, not really like following directions? Um, I've even looked at in between matches, seeing how the recruits are interacting with their teammates. Um, Are they being a good teammate and supportive, encouraging um, or how they interact with their family, maybe how they interact with their parents. Um, Like I've seen, you know, like if I see a kid who like yells at their mom, like, mom, give me a Gatorade versus (laughs) like, mom, can you please bring me a Gatorade? You know, like that just makes a big difference. Like having that respect um, or lack of respect, um, goes a long way and it's they're all factors that I look at and that I take into consideration just because with recruiting you're trying to get a lot of people who will be on the same page as you and who will like follow your lead um, versus recruits who are going to fight you on every little thing so um, to me it's really important um, in order to like create that great team chemistry um, and to create a very solid um, culture, um, I put a lot into looking at other factors besides just um, their talent on the court or even academics. 
So talking about talent, um, and this this is our last big question is uh, without, and I know there's a lot that goes into the specifics of each position that you're recruiting, but if yeah. you could touch on the top one or there's an, one or two things that you're looking for, skills that you're looking for, for each position. Okay. So um, for outsides, I would look at their ability to play all six rotations. Um, so are all of their skills developed or are they very just um, focused on being a hitter? Because as an outside, you need to be able to kind of do everything. You have to pass, you have to serve, um, you need to be able to play defense. Um, you need to be able to hit and to block. So um, outsides are very important in that um, they're going to be getting a lot of touches and they need to be very skilled in different areas. Um, when it comes to like choosing the two most important, I would say passing and attacking for outsides. Um, and that would probably be the same for right sides as well. Um, well, right sides would probably, right sides and middles would probably be more attacking and blocking um, would be the two skills. We kind of look at a little more with them too. Um, but outsides um, get a lot of reps, especially as a hitter. They're going to get sets that are in system and they're going to get sets that are out of system. So um, they also have to have kind of a good solid volleyball IQ and understand different situations. Um, if they're out of system, what their options are to do with the ball versus trying to swing away and they swing out or swing right into the block. Um, so they kind of have to have that, um, just that uh, being smart with those types of plays. Um, like I mentioned, middles and right sides would be more focused on attacking and um, blocking. So they have to be able to understand um, the opponent's attackers and where to set up a block. But then when it comes to attacking, they aren't receiving as many out-of-system sets as outsides are. So um, they have to be able to be very efficient with their attacks. They, their kill efficiency needs to be pretty high. Um, just because most of the sets that they are getting are coming from in-system plays. Um, then going on to setters and liberos, I would say are two of the most important positions. Um, obviously your setters, like the quarterback of the team, she's going to be touching the ball every rally or every play. Um, and she needs to be a leader out on the court. Um, all of the girls are the entire team is going to be looking to her um, just because she is getting so many touches. So she needs to kind of keep the team going, keep them motivated and um, on the right path um, for as far as skills for them, obviously setting and then defense. Um, they have to be great defenders. Otherwise they're just going to be kind of a vulnerability um, on defense and then liberos. Um, I mean, you can't run a great offense without having solid passing or solid servicing. So um, it all starts with your liberos and being able to have a libero who is confident and can take up um, more seam responsibility goes a long way. It just takes 
some um, relief off of your pin hitters and allows them to focus on other skills um, when you do have that libero who can take a little more space. Um, and then for liberos, also defense, um, they have to be kind of just the go-getters out there on defense and um, where like they're just very, um, they have a lot of perseverance, they get after it and um, they kind of ignite that fire within the team's defense. All right. Well, now we're going to have a quick speed round and that will conclude our, our, this great conversation. So, um, speed round is just, uh, first question, your favorite athlete role model growing up. Um, growing up, it was Mia Hamm. Um, soccer was my first sport that I played and, um, so yeah, I really looked up to her. All right. Favorite moment you ever had in your sport. So favorite moment playing in your sport that, that is your, you can remember. Um, I would say two, when I was at university of Colorado, um, we beat Nebraska who was number one in the nation. Um, they ended up going on to win the national championship that year. And we were their only loss um, right. the entire year. And then also when I played professionally in Greece, um, we won the Greek cup and, um, that was on Samos Island. It was just an unbelievable experience, um, playing in that type of environment. Favorite professional sports moment that you've watched. So if you, uh, like you watched, uh, like a, a sports moment that you've watched, that's like, uh, professionally other people besides yourself. Um, I mean, I would probably go back to, um, I can't even remember what world cup it was. Um, it was our women's, um, soccer team. Let's see. It probably would have been 99, I think. 90. Yeah. I was going to say 90 around 99. Um, but when they won it, um, through penalty or not penalty, <laughs> they won in overtime. Um, it's, I remember like that's still when I was really into soccer. Our whole club team was together, all watching it, and it was just I think um, one of those first moments as a young child when I saw just like the excitement and um, competitiveness um, professionally. So I think that that game made a big impact on me. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us today. So thank you, Mallory Rossi, the head volleyball coach at Sandsaw State. Uh, good luck with recruiting and good luck in the upcoming season. And congrats on baby number two in June. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Making an Athlete podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor. Check us out at makinganathlete.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to catch our next episode.